Hey everyone, welcome back to Silicon Street Academy, a podcast on venture capital, technology, and entrepreneurship geared towards college students and young professionals. If you're new to the show, go ahead and follow us on Spotify and LinkedIn and definitely check out our existing episodes. Today we're interviewing Tess Michaels, the CEO of Stride Funding. Tess founded Stride Funding back in 2018 to provide an alternative to student loans for students who need assistance paying for their education. Prior to founding Stride Funding, Tess worked as a private equity associate for Vista Equity Partners, which is one of the largest private equity firms in the world that focuses on technology. And she was also an investment banking analyst at Goldman Sachs. So with this wealth of experience, we'd like to welcome Tess to the show. How's everything going? Thank you so much for having me, Connor and Alex. Awesome. So I, I gave a quick background on yourself, but could you maybe just elaborate on that a little bit and kind of how you decided? I know you had some, some background in finance, but obviously you're an entrepreneur now. Um, yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So prior to founding Stride, you know, I'd really split my career between mission-driven startups and finance. Um, so actually, when I was an undergrad, I founded my first startup, which was a software analytics company in the CSR space. We had a small exit there. And then, as you mentioned, I worked uh, at Goldman doing banking and then at Vista doing software investing for a number of years. I really enjoyed it, but personally just missed operating and working on something I was pretty crazy about. Um, so I actually founded Stride from a fairly student-first perspective. I was headed into Harvard for graduate school and thinking about my own financing options and talking to peers. And as you can imagine, the sticker price was, you know, quite hefty once you had books and tuition and housing. And so uh, as I was thinking through different ways to pay for school, um, I had learned about income share agreements, found them intellectually fascinated, but realized at the time, if I wanted access, there was no way. The university market, unless you went to a school that had a very innovative president and a big university endowment that was willing to fund these ISAs, um, you couldn't really get access. And so the whole concept was how to really align the cost and value of education and also align the payments toward kind of your, your earnings, right? So everyone's really focused on student success. And it's been such a fun journey growing Stride so far. Awesome, Tess. Well, so could you maybe explain to us, and you just kind of went into the background a little bit, but on a little deeper level, the kind of problem that Stride Funding seeks to solve, um, what your value prop is to students, and then maybe a little bit more on exactly what an ISA is uh, and, and so that these students can kind of get an understanding of that. Yeah, so, you know, some of the key problems that we noticed were one, you know, while students are in school, school, traditional loans, where it's just principal and interest, accrue interest, right, while you're not paying while you're in school. And then typically yeah. these loans are 10 to 20 years long, right? So it's hard to really start your life, your big life events, like buying a house, starting a family, when you still have these burdensome, you know, costs. And lastly, sure. you know, the, the full burden is on the student, right, to, to succeed. And, and oftentimes, you know, students may, life is not a straight line, right? Imagine something happens health-wise, you don't get the job you expected, or it's COVID and, and you're furloughed. Unfortunately, during those moments with a traditional loan, you are still forced to pay. Otherwise, again, your interest accrues. And so we really wanted to create a much more student-friendly option, which is where the income share agreement really came in. What an income share agreement is, is instead of a traditional loan where there's principal and interest, Students pay a fixed percentage of income, usually single digit, let's say five, 6% over a set number of years. And our contracts are only five years long. And so as you earn less, you pay less. When you earn more, you pay more. And there are kind of caps on the max you pay, as well as floors, like minimum income thresholds that say, if you earn less than this, you pay nothing. And there's no cost to you. So the real value proposition for students is, A, it's much more flexible, right? Earnings change as your life changes. Second, it's far shorter in duration, right? Five years versus most loans that are 10 to 20 years long. Third, um, everyone is really focused around student success. And so we build in a lot of career support. We don't monetize on it. It's just part of the mission. 
we have all sorts of resources around you know, career readiness, um, you know, exam prep, mental health resources, et cetera, that are all there to really support the individual and, and really transform us from being a financial provider to really being a partner to the student. So that's really where, where we sit. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that's great background. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm curious how, uh, you talked about the kind of inspiration for the, for the idea and the business, but how did you initially get started? What was the kind of process there? Um, we know you participated in a few competitions um, and you know, how did those go? And what was the first kind of couple months like? Yeah, so you know, in the beginning, I think being as close as you can to the actual end user or customer is really critical to understanding, you know, is the value proposition you know, uh, real and, and will students uh, truly want this product? And so you know, I spent um, you know, the first few months really just going between different campuses and speaking with students and saying, you know, what are you struggling with? What would you prefer in a product? And um, you know, without leading them, really figuring out what features mattered most to them and then seeing that the ISA was actually really attractive to many students as they saw this as a much more supportive way of uh, funding school. The, the next step was figuring out you know, the funder side, right? Will there be enough capital to fund these students and investors that are interested and especially impact investors that really care about the mission here? Um, and so that's really where I spent the bulk of the initial um, time. And then beyond that, the next phase was thinking through data science. How do we price these income share agreements? How do we think about the product, right? How do we think about the yeah. shape of income over time? Um, and sure, yeah. as you mentioned, we uh, participated in, and, and did really well with a number of early competitions where we were vetting our idea in front of you know, industry experts. And I think our first big win was we had won the MIT FinTech competition um, early in our history. And that was really good validation in addition to, of course, a little initial capital. But after that, mm -hmm. really started formalizing, hiring full team and raising our you know, uh, initial venture capital. And so that was the early sure. end. Yeah, and and so you you touched upon kind of you know going about like a, a proof of concept and doing some research in these competitions. How did you kind of go about deciding like the initial segment of students that you wanted to target? I know you guys focus yeah. um, primarily on like STEM students, for example. Exactly. Um, yeah. So how did how did that work? It was interesting. You know, when I founded Stride, um, you know, I was a Harvard MBA. Turns out, you know, not necessarily uh, the ideal student because the variability of income is so high. And so actually professions where there's slightly less variability are typically those we can drive the best rates to because we're not baking that into the pricing. Sure. So we, you know, big segments we fund are, um, you know, healthcare, like nursing students, STEM, like you mentioned, so data science, engineering, computer science, et cetera. Um, and then also, you know, a number of business programs and, and some masters in education. So those are our core segments, but healthcare and STEM definitely taking up the bulk of it. Um, but it was, uh, it is interesting to, to see that some of it is where you theorize um, folks will be interested in the product, but mo most of it is actually just seeing where the market demand is coming in. Yeah. We constantly are looking at our analytics and seeing where are students finding us and applying and where is that word of mouth the strongest? And um, that really guided us toward our North Star of where to focus initially. Yeah, and, and so you mentioned kind of the, the emphasis on data science. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about um, how you went about like hiring the early team and like specifically deciding like which roles to hire. Like obviously you focused a little bit on data science, but just generally how that, how you decided to bring on people. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting, you know, with startups, there are two approaches, right? You can be really scrappy with your product, go to market as quickly as possible and test it, or you really nail the product, um, spend the time to get it right and, and then go to market. With an income share agreement, I mean, we are 
going to have to, you know, fund and service the students we work with for, you know, five years, right? So we really have to be thoughtful around pricing. Mm -hmm. So our biggest capital outlay actually was early on in our history. Uh, we did an asset acquisition of a data science company that was essentially a team of engineers that had spent four years building proprietary ISA pricing models. They essentially took millions of resumes, parsed them, and then cross-referenced them with salary databases to tell you what the shape of income looks like over time for different programs, different schools, different geographies. And that really accelerated our time to market. We now have a full Python-based pricing model. We can price almost any program in school in, in less than a second. Um, and okay. it's taken a lot of work. I mean, it's a mix of, you know, the assets we acquired from that acquisition, um, you know, public sources from the Department of Education and a number of paid private sources that we really triangulate on. And we look at both, you know, macro environment uh, related work as well as school specific um, data in order to really uh, nail it and, and understand kind of the path of a student from, you know, different, different uh, you know, areas or segments. Yeah, absolutely. And so that kind of, you know, hones in on the data science aspect of things and the analytics. I'm curious how you go about like actually marketing um, the ISAs to students. I know like you had like a marketing ambassadorship. I think one of my friends actually participated in it. Um, if you could just talk about what what that looks like for you guys. Yeah. So, you know, um, we we have about 30 affiliate partnerships, uh, you know, folks like NerdWallet, Credible and others um, that are places that students naturally go to when they're comparing different loan options. And Stride is featured as one of the options to really help uh, demonstrate the value to students. In addition to that, we of course have digital marketing. As you mentioned, um, you know, we uh, pre-COVID had a sizable campus ambassador program across about you know, 50 or so universities across the US, as you can imagine that went remote and um, we'll bring it back post uh, COVID. And, um, and then we have a number of, of channel partners. Uh, so we have, you know, um, big technology companies that help create the infrastructure for universities around online degree programs that have partnered with Stride to really help drive enrollment and retention. So a, a pretty good, healthy mix across affiliates, channel partners, um, and then digital marketing. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so Tess, that's that's great. And you know, we we get the the you have this great team, kind of understand the marketing strategy. How does Stride go about actually making money? What's that business plan look like? Um, and and could you explain a little bit of how financing of the ISAs actually works? Like who's putting up the capital? Who's kind of fronting that cost? And what does that look like long term? Yeah. So um, you know there are a number of products. For example, even the federal you know grad plus product for master students charge upfront origination fees for students. We decided in our in our early time we did not want to charge students any fees. We wanted to make this really gotcha. as a product. Yeah. And there is absolutely no fees for the student. Um, we typically take our fees from the investor side and occasionally in the alt ed space from the school side. But again, um, that was part of our, our mission to make sure this was affordable for students. Um, and then as far as the financing models, so we raise capital into you know, special purpose vehicles um, from outside investors, institutional investors. Okay. So our first fund in the university market was focused, um, is primarily funded with large impact capital. So. Uh, you know, think of your multi-billion dollar nonprofits that are in the education space that are looking to allocate you know, capital and, um, and, and thus we're able to really drive pretty affordable rates for students, which is exciting. Um, we're, we're finalizing our second fund right now. It's a mix of, you know, bank capital and then number of, you know, uh, traditional institutional capital below that. But again, um, you know, very separate than the venture capital that we've raised, which is for the operating business, right? For yeah, higher sure. product. Yeah. 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 And, and then, so maybe do a little deeper on like 
the the kind of pro, uh, you know the the process for the loans or, or, or how the students paying for this uh, education <clears throat> so do you yeah. yourself get the loans and give the students the money or like how much of it is going to where how is it going to the university yeah so for the income share agreements that we do um, we are the full end-to-end -end providers so the student has the experience okay. with end-to-end -end. so what we think about it is uh, we handle all of the marketing, the origination, which is a student application. Students can you okay. know, get a yep. uh, so they can figure out their pricing in less than a minute on our website, just at stridefunding.com. Then you, yeah. um, you get a quote. You, if you're eligible, you will get you will get to do the full application, which only takes about 10 minutes to do. Um, you can find right. out same day if you're approved and you e-sign a contract. And then once students have uh, signed on with Stride, we enter them into our career portal. They can use that while they're in school. There's all sorts of resources there. And then once they graduate, they'll go into repayment and we manage that alongside a partner, um, a, a partner that's, you know, very large company. It's been around since the eighties. They do most of the federal student loan servicing. They also did SOFIs. Um, so really credible group there. So again, we're, we're really the end to end. And so students see stride uh, for the whole process. Yeah, no, uh, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that, so there's definitely a lot of value to be added by kind of, you know, controlling that entire channel, the entire process, the entire, uh, time you're interacting with the student but um, I'm also curious what's the kind of structure of the products that you guys offer um, are you looking at just kind of collecting on salaries are you looking at capital gains what if a student starts a business and sells it as a, as a student or right after they graduate like how does that work um, and how much are you taking of, of kind of which which buckets I guess yeah so um, the way it works is again it's, it's meant to be very affordable right so we'll we'll fund up to 25k per year it's a single di it's a single digit percentage of income um, it's only over a five-year time horizon, so a fairly short period of time. Um, and essentially what we're looking at is it's, you know, off of your your net, your uh, gross income that you report on your tax returns every year, right? Um, yeah. But again, there are caps for the most, the max that you will pay. So we, and, and less than 5% of students ever hit the cap, right? Yeah. So yeah. it is really intention to, to be a product that is there to almost have insurance built in, right? If you do hit sure. a snag and for some reason you're furloughed, it gives you kind of the support you need there. But again, um, you know, given the segments that we target, these are usually fairly stable salaries and in careers. Yeah, no, that makes that, that makes a lot of sense. It sounded like from the students you're picking the kind of areas you're focusing yeah. on. That sounds like uh, like the the kind of strategy with that, which is great. Um, <clears throat> so we're also curious about. You know, what's the defensible strategy that you guys are building with Stride uh, and what's preventing, you know, a big bank from coming doing something similar uh, or with one of these other big loan lending kind of uh, firms from doing something very similar. Yeah. And, and I mean, is there something or is it mostly kind of on your brand side? Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that the brand is critical. Actually, in the ISA space, we're one of the only players that actually has a brand. Most of them are white labeled solutions cool. so that gotcha. customers don't actually know the brand. I think that's critical for us as we think about the future cross-selling um, products into the market. Uh, the second is data coming in and data coming out get me very excited, right? When I say data coming in, yeah. our proprietary way of pricing income share agreements and also underwriting income share agreements is really important. I mean, we don't require co-signers. Um, we don't have any FICO cutoff scores. We, do, we are integrated with TransUnion and we look for kind of clean credit. We have a number of knockouts there. Um, but that's all really critical as we think about, you know, how to ensure we have good repayment likelihood. And then on the yeah. back end, you know, I get really excited about as we scale the the visibility we have into earnings for different students, right? Unless you're a bank or a plaid, yeah. very yeah. few companies actually get visibility into earnings, right? Even a student loan company, they just know if students are paying their interest payments and their principal. 
they have no idea, you know, what's actually happening to that individual's life. Yeah. That gets yeah. really interesting. And then on the back end, it's about student engagement. Part of why we invest in career support and the rest is so that we have a really strong repayment likelihoods. We have zero delinquencies to date across our university portfolio and nice. our ed portfolio. So every single wow. student above the min income threshold is paying us back and on time. That's a huge win in this space, right? Um, yeah, that's crazy. Lots of broad yeah. number of students. And so that, that to us is really um, a way to demonstrate that it's really working and students are really engaged with the platform, so. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great data right there. Um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. And, th and then, so I know you touched a little bit on kind of the, the white labeled competitors, but what does the competitive label landscape look like, even including them? How many kind of people are you competing with? And do you focus a lot on the competition or kind of more focus on like your core product offering that you guys are developing? Yeah, so you know, the income share agreement space is still so nascent, right? It really only started in the US back in 2016. Uh, it went from zero ISAs in 2015 to now call it $300 million in ISA volume, and it's growing yeah. very, very quickly, right? So um, sure. there's so much white space left that I, I don't focus day to day on the ISA competitors. I've almost never had a student say I'm deciding between Stride and another ISA because we're one of the only Great, yeah. It's much more so about us versus private loan providers, right? How do we think about yep. disrupting that space, taking market share there, and thinking about outcomes-driven financing as the next big wave, right? If you look at you know, funding in general, it used to be just banks, right? Then fintech companies came in and created private loan companies that disrupted a lot of these banks, right? And then the yeah. next wave, in my view, is outcomes-driven financing, which is where we sit. Um, so that's really what gets me excited. And um, you know, when you asked about how do I think about a big company or a bank trying to enter this space, I do believe that over the next five years, we'll see significant market share taken up by ISA players. Um, yeah. And a lot of these big banks or private loan companies will say, wait a second, we should think about this space, but they are yeah. upridden and priced in a completely different way than a private loan. So they will likely, instead of thinking of building in-house, will look at partnering or buying, right? And and I think that's where we're really well positioned. So. Yeah, yeah, and you guys have all a bunch of data and uh, you know competitive advantage going <laughs> from starting yeah. early, right? So, <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great overview of the business. Um, I'm curious. I know you guys have raised a few rounds of of venture capital. Um, could you like just speak to what that process looked like and how did you even like go about getting connected with individuals? Like just even getting a meeting, obviously, is, yeah. is difficult for people. No, um, absolutely. I think you know. A, I really benefited from the network and the community at HBS. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it gave me a lot of exposure to really amazing professors or you know advisors who knew a lot of really great VC firms. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the the way that it happened for us was honestly very fortunate. So I was actually it was the summer between my first and second year at HBS, and um, we had planned on raising fundraising post the summer. I was just having initial coffee chats with folks and. Uh, people got really excited about the idea. We actually ended up getting preempted with a term sheet ahead of actually kicking off our formal fundraise. And what's amazing is like the second you get your first term sheet, it all happens so quickly. Right? <laughs> yeah. then, you know, within a week, we kind of had multiple other term sheets and then kind of selected a party to move forward with. And I know that is something I don't take for granted. It is something I, I feel very fortunate about. But, um, you know, I would say that, first of all, you know, having the .edu address uh, opens up a lot of doors for advisors and mentors and then asking those folks to make introductions and then using your company email to really formally get to know VC firms was a really 
solid path, at least for us to get to know all the folks we wanted, right? And we have an amazing set of VCs with a lot of domain expertise and exactly what we're focused on. And we were able to be a little picky on that. Yeah. Um, and we did raise more VC funding right when COVID happened because who knows when the market was going to have clarity. Yeah. We wanted to extend our runway. And um, again, you know, we went through our networks and said, who are the folks who are going to be most strategic for us beyond just capital as we grow the business? Mm-hmm. Um, and that too was a fairly quick process of about a month or so of diligence and meeting with folks. But again, um, I think, you know, as long as you're really showing great growth, a really strong team early on, it's so much of it is about the people, right? Yeah. And so much of it is yeah. about, um, you know, them believing in, in the, the TAM and the differentiation of your, your idea. Um, and then after that, you know, each subsequent round is far more about execution, right? Mm-hmm. And, and growth metrics, right? But initially it's really about the team and the idea, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know you mentioned uh, being strategic with, uh, you know, who you picked to uh, partner with. I know you have like some traditional like VC investors, but you also have some strategic investors as well, right? So yeah. Yeah, how did that work? So it's a pretty healthy mix. So we have very, very traditional investors like Slow Ventures, for example, they invested in Slack, Pinterest, Nest, you know, yeah. uh, all of your very traditional tech companies. Um, but we, we loved their team because they're just very well connected in the broader VC community. And they also had just uh, been really interested in ISAs. They actually, despite being a generalist fund, host an ISA conference every year, um, which is pretty cool to see. But uh, from a more um, you know, uh, narrowed in perspective, our, the lead for our round was a firm called GSV Ventures. They're a big ed tech fund. They invested in Coursera, Degreed, Masterclass, if you've ever like, learned yeah. about yeah. Yep. really cool um, ed tech companies. And, uh, and their founding partner, Deborah Quasa, sits on our board. But that was a really um, great player who just knew all of the folks we'd want to make customers or partners, right? Slow knew all of the investors that we would eventually want to bring into our Series A, B, C, mm-hmm. and GSV knew all the partners and customers that would help accelerate our growth. And I thought that was a really healthy mix. And then we brought in really strategic investors like Strata Education, who came in the top co, but also invested as ISA capital. And so we were able to benefit yeah. from them as a strategic in that sense. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's definitely a strong mix. You can get the best of both worlds with it, right? Um, I'm, I'm curious, like what the meetings actually look like. I don't know if you have any, like some, some of the hardest questions that you faced or like anything that, um, I guess like what, what does the meeting actually look like? Like obviously you put together the pitch deck, um, but if you could just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, of course. You know, uh, a lot of the, the meetings initially, you know, A, them understanding your, you know, first just getting to know the team, as you can imagine. After that is really understanding the inspiration for why we're here. Because they want to make sure you're really committed to this. Because once they put their money in, they want to know they can make it work. Um, and then, you know, why you, right? Like, why are you the person to be building this business? And then why this idea, right? How do you think about it in uh, the broader scheme of the competitive landscape? After that, they really want to understand, is it going to be viable or sustainable? What's the business model? How do you think about growth projections? How do you think about, you know, your go-to-market, that's one of the most important things is your go-to-market strategy, right? And we've evolved our go-to-market. We started as a pure play direct-to-student business. We've now partnered with a number of large institutions and, and have a B2B uh, channel as well. And I think, you know, that's been really interesting as far as accelerating our growth. Um, so I think that's really critical. And then beyond that, it's really understanding how we're going to build the right capabilities, right? Like how, how do we think about our differentiation? How do we think about our pricing capabilities? Um, but, you know, I would say uh, 
you very early on can tell if folks are interested, are believers in what you're building, right? And yeah. it, it is very fast feedback from that perspective. And I actually really appreciate that about the system because different VCs have different theses, right? Like for some of them, they have a specific thesis that they're trying to focus on and prove out and find companies that fit that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just happen to be in the sweet spot where a lot of folks were focused on how do you address the student loan crisis and how do you, you know, help um, improve it. And, and so it was very topical, right? So, yeah. yeah. And I'm also curious, you know, uh, you know, you've got, you've raised all this VC money and you've been at the, the startup game for a little over two years, going on three years. What, what have kind of the biggest challenges been that you've, you've faced so far and maybe what's something that you wish you knew when you initially started it uh, when you were at HBS? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I would say, you know, A, um, you know, we're in a really interesting space from a regulatory perspective, right? ISAs are not currently regulated. We self-regulate. So there's a lot of policy um, know-how that you have to build in. And I have great teammates with a lot of experience on that side that have really helped. But I think that's really, you know, critical early on is understanding what is the regulatory framework of the industry that you're entering. And in fintech, as you can imagine, that is increasingly important, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the second is really thinking through as a founder, you know, your time is really split between, um, you know, the, the operations, the fundraising and the team. And on the team front, like it is so critical to think through who your first few hires are and making sure that they're folks uh, who really will grow and scale and uh, be able to adapt as the organization grows and also as the organization changes, right? Um, and I've been really fortunate to have just awesome, awesome teammates. Like, uh, David, who um, you know is our COO, he went to Harvard Law School. He worked at J.P. Morgan in investment banking. He's like super passionate about the ISA space. Patrick, um, you know, who's our, our CRO, uh, you know, used to lead the student loan portfolios at Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan Chase. Was early at SoFi. Really, really awesome, awesome team who knows the industry. But I think finding those folks and not settling early is really critical, right? Um, and also making sure people feel really valued, right? Because early on, you know, the interesting thing is like. If you think about cash and equity, your equity value keeps growing, but you know, in the beginning, you're more scrappy with your cash and then thinking about how to accelerate that. So figuring out how to incentivize people, keep them motivated, and also really make folks feel like they're owners within the business is really critical to having you know, a strong ship, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and beyond that, I would say you know, uh, it's amazing to me how just about every door you want to open, you can get open through the right channels. Mm -hmm. but you have to really be bold, right? You cannot um, be afraid of getting a no, uh, but instead, you know, on the off chance that you get a yes, you know, being willing to step out of your comfort zone and, um, you know, really put yourself out there, I think is what differentiates, you know, good versus great startups. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's amazing advice. I think that's one of the most important things anyone needs to know whether or not they're trying to start a company or just kind of get forward in their, in their career now as well. So Tess, that wraps up the kind of uh, you know, traditional questions we had for you here, but um, we, we have to do this last section, um, which is five rapid fire questions for you. Uh, feel free to answer them as long as, take as long as you want to just be super quick and brief about it, but they, they also don't have to be anything related to, you know, professional or your business. They can just be, you know, regular, regular thing, everyday things you're, you're working on. So uh, first question we have is what books are you reading right now? Yeah, so um, I would say, you know, uh, my person, one of my favorite personal authors is Adam Grant. Uh, so I love originals and give and take uh, are both really great books. Um, want to read, think again. So I, I would definitely say he's one of my favorites. Great. 
Awesome. What skill are you trying to develop right now or would you like to develop? Or alternatively, what is an area that you're trying to learn more about? Um, so pre-COVID, one of the things I did that I really enjoyed was improv classes. Um, just, you know, learning oh, awesome. how to be and just like, you know, uh, be spontaneous and enjoy that. Yeah. It was super, super fun. I would love eventually to learn, you know, how to do stand up as well. But um, that's definitely one of the things. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, how do you stay up to date with the latest developments in your industry? Or, uh, you know, kind of couple with that, are there any news sources that you'd recommend to anyone listening? Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, for me at least, um, you know, I love, uh, you know, Morning Brew. I also love, I just have Google Alerts for every single topic you could possibly, you know, imagine within our industry as a way to just have friendly reminders. We also have a, you know, really active Slack channel and honestly learning from your peers is also really helpful. And so um, within our Slack, we have a, you know, blog and in the news where people are constantly posting interesting things, not just about Stride or ISAs, but broader about the fintech and edtech space and so we almost keep each other informed which i really appreciate and then of course you know beyond just uh fintech edtech like i am subscribed to all sorts of news sources like the new york times and others wall street journal and and ways to just have more of a business know-how yeah that's great that's awesome uh so who is your favorite ceo could be current or past hmm let me think um I do really love uh, David Blake, who was a founder at Degreed. Um, he's pretty wonderful uh, okay. tech company. Um, Rachel Carlson yeah. at, at uh, Guilds is also pretty amazing. She's you know badass female founder who's just raised a ton, um, done you know a pretty awesome acquisition recently, and um, also in a similar space. So yeah, that's, that's cool. Uh, something last here. If you could start a company in any other industry, uh, you could you could do the same one if you want, but maybe in another one, uh, which would you choose and a little bit about why? Hmm. It's a tough question. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because this was something that happened super organically that, that um, you know, I really loved. Uh, and I do love the ed tech and fintech space, but in other industries, I mean, if it wasn't for, the scalability and my rational mind thinking through what business models make the most sense with the biggest TAMs. Yeah. There's lots of fun, really, you know, quirky consumer things that um, folks, <laughs> you know, uh, always get sure. in. And so I think that's yeah, next. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. So that kind of wraps up the questions we had. But um, before we end things, how can, uh, you know, students, if they're interested, uh, reach out to you guys about ISAs if they're trying to get funding for school? Yeah, so um, please, please uh, check out stridefunding.com. Um, again, it takes less than a minute to get a quote, see what pricing looks like, um, share it with any friends or, or family that, that um, students uh, know. But beyond that, you can also always email me at testedstridefunding.com. I'm super responsive and always happy to answer questions, get on calls and just be you know helpful. Um, and yeah, that, that should work. All right, everybody, that wraps up our talk with Tess Michaels, the CEO of Stride Funding. We're going to pass on the debrief section um, this time. I think most of what was discussed was, uh, you know, pretty self-explanatory. Um, feel free to email us at uh, on our website if you have any questions. But otherwise, uh, definitely subscribe to our weekly newsletter that we just started. You can do that by going to the homepage of our website and just putting your email into the little box uh, on the homepage. Um, but other than that, you know, thanks for listening and, uh, we'll catch you next time.